0: Sure, appreciate that good message. I told Brother Luke he's keeping it too tense. I can't wait till next time. I know where he's going. It's like, you know, you can binge watch these shows and you can just go right into the next one. Well, that was unheard of when I was a kid. You had to wait till the next week or the next year or two when the movie sequel came out. I know where he's going. I can feel the anticipation and I'm kind of wanting to binge watch it, Brother Luke. Can you binge preach it? I don't know. Appreciate the great message. And also, as he was preaching about preparing yourself, it made me think. We're living in a time of instant gratification. You know, you want what you want right away with no time to work for it. But the best things that you ever have in life are not instant gratification things. Those are things that you work for. I wanted to be a a decent football player when I was in high school, so I worked and worked and worked at it. I wanted to be a good songwriter when I was writing songs all the time. I worked and worked and worked at it hours, ridiculous hours. And I'm using those examples because those are all vain things. You know, I can't play football anymore. I maybe can write a little song every now and then, but you understand preparing yourself in the kingdom of God is the most noble thing that you could ever do. And you can do whatever you're doing in life, you can be preparing for sports or learning how to write music or whatever. You can do those things to the glory of God. But when the time comes and the problem hits and you lose it and you think, well, why did this happen to me? And why did all this go against me? Things are going to go against you and things are going to happen to you. The question is, are you preparing yourself See, to stand in those days? I'm certainly getting good things out of the messages about taking a stand and being prepared. The best things you ever get in life come from preparing yourself. So I encourage us to continue to prepare and pray for Brother Luke that he'll continue to deliver these messages that help us prepare. If you will, for just a few minutes, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 18. I'm still kind of stuck in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18 and 19. And last week... I talk to you about things that we say, how there are things that are spoken that we can say that pierce like like a sword. And so I want to kind of hit the other side of that and talk this morning about those that have been pierced by things that people say. And the title of the message is A Brother Offended. Look at Proverbs 18 and let's read verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Last week, as I said, we talked about being careful about what we say and what does pierce like a sword. And today, let's talk about when we have been pierced like a sword, when someone says something that hurts. And I want to give you this little story. This is how it was related to me. Years and years ago, Brother Luke's great granddaddy and my great granddaddy, they were both preachers at Bethlehem. And at some point they got crossed up about something. I have no idea what it was. And when they got crossed up, this is shocking, but Bethlehem church did not meet for eight years, eight years, because something had occurred between them that was like the piercings of a sword, you know? I don't know what that was, but that's astonishing to think for eight years, the church did not disband, but it lay dormant. And you would think after eight years that a church is dead. It hadn't met in eight years. You're living proof that it's not praise God, but it all had to do with what somebody said. So a preacher came along and was asked to try to get the church meeting again. That was elder Armin Rich. And Brother Rich came along, and the first thing that he did, good old Brother Rich, the first thing that he did is he went and met with Brother Luke's great-granddaddy, and he went and met with Brother Tim's great-granddaddy. He sat down with them and said, Hey, Brother, they've, some folks have asked me that care about the church, try to get things moving again and get things started back up. And this is how it was told to me by Brother Rich. He said, My great-granddaddy, when he talked to him, he said, Oh, Brother, there's nothing I want more than to see that church meet again. There's nothing I want more and I've been hurt, and I've had some hard things said against me, but I love that brother, and I forgive him. And yes, let's get back together. So then Brother Rich went and talked to Brother Luke's great-granddaddy. He said, Brother Lum, I'm here to try to get the church meeting again and get back together. And old Brother Lum said, oh, brother, there's nothing that I want more. I love the church and want to see it meet. And oh, they've said some hard things against me, you know, but I've forgiven them a long time ago. <laughs> And they started meeting again and come back together. You get the point. You've got an offended party over here and you got an offended party over here. And there's a disconnect there for them coming together. You see that? That's what I want to talk to you about. You're you're living proof. Your presence here is living proof that the principles of the word of God when it comes to offenses work. And Jesus said, whoa unto the earth woe to the world because of offenses but offenses are going to come they happen we say something we shouldn't say we do something we shouldn't do and here notice it says a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city so let's talk about how to handle offenses okay first of all I want to make this statement I believe that there is no greater test of discipleship in serving God than how you handle offenses. You say, well, I love going to church and I love here preaching and I love food and I love fellowship. I love all of it too. But the real test of discipleship is when a child of God is put in the fire. That's the real test of discipleship. How faithful are you not to Brother Tim, how faithful are you to Jesus? That's the real test of discipleship. Because fires come. And a saying of mine that I hopefully one day will probably preach is the title of the sermon. But a favorite saying of mine is the heat shows the heart. You get in the heat, there's only one letter difference between heat and heart. But when you get in the, in the heat, it always shows the heart. And I always think of the three Hebrew children who went into the living fire, who went into the literal fire, and it showed their heart, did it not? So, I believe that how we handle offenses is the test of true discipleship. You want your discipleship tested, one of the ways is based on how we handle offenses. So, let's think about that as a church, as a body. As I mentioned last week, the lifeblood that flows through the body of the church, remember, it's more than just a social group or organism, it's more than just a gathering, it's more than a family, even. It's a body, okay? What supplies the life? Of the church is the lifeblood that flows through the body, and that lifeblood is charity. It's sacrificial love for one another. That's how the body functions. And two basic categories that the Word of God takes up in general on offenses. Okay, one of those is found in First Corinthians five, and that's not my subject this morning, but I'll just mention it. It's called, it's known as public offenses. So you see. When a child of God commits themselves to the body, they are laying down their life in a, even not just in a private way, but in a public way and saying, I'm going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a member, as a part of the body, as an appendage of the body, if you will, because that's accurate. Now, the word of God describes, Paul says, some may be an eye, some may be an ear, some may be a hand, some may be a foot, but it's a body. So when you commit yourself in baptism and confession to follow the Lord as a body, you're saying, I'm going to let my private and public endeavors reflect my love for the Lord. So I'm going to be real conscious about how I live and what I do. It's not because well, the preacher's watching me or the deacon's watching me or the families watching That's missing the whole point. And that's slavish fears. The reason it is, is because you recognize a greater principle that you don't own your life, that you don't own your body, that Christ owns it and he purchased it on the cross. So you're not allowed to do whatever you want to do with your body. That's not slavish fear for the child of God touched by the spirit. It's complete freedom. So you watch what you say and you watch what you do because you serve a higher purpose. And if you read in 1 Corinthians the 5th chapter, that's where it deals with public offenses. An example is given there, and the public offense that was occurring was apparently from what we read is a young man had began to have a relationship with his father's wife, which we all go, "Ooh." You know, most likely it was a it was a stepmother, most likely. We can only hope that at least it hopefully was a stepmother. But if you read in the book of Leviticus about the terrible situations, the terrible sexual situations that those nations were involved in when the Lord was sending the people in the promised land, I mean, who knows? I mean, there are some twisted minds that become more and more perverted in the world today. But it's most likely that this young man was having an inappropriate relationship with his father's wife, his stepmother. And that's the example of public offense the Apostle Paul addressed. Now, in this day and time that we live, and people say, well, I'm not accountable to anybody. Well, a person that says that doesn't need to be a part of the church. If you think you're not accountable to anybody, because it's not being accountable to the church, it's being accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was publicly known. And you might say they were flaunting this. You know, they were just going about their business and this young man was having this relationship with his stepmother and everybody was whispering and talking about it and nobody would do anything about it. And they'd say, well, you know, it's their life. They can do whatever they want to do. The problem is he had committed himself to be a follower of Christ and you couldn't walk in that way and represent Christ. Does that make sense? It was a public offense. So if you think about the extreme of what that was and how ugly that was, the apostle Paul, he said, look, When you got something like that going on that's a public reproach to the church of God, it's not about being ugly or antagonistic or being mean. It's about doing what God's Word says. What does the Lord think about that? And the the Apostle Paul said, I advise you to release this young man. The wording is, turn him over to Satan. He was already following the devil. He was already acting like the devil. So just make it official and just turn him over to where he is. And you know what Paul says, though? He says that he might be saved. You see, that he might come to the end of himself like the prodigal son and come back. And you know that's exactly what happened. And did you know that's the whole intent of dealing with a public offense when someone is not following the Lord Jesus Christ according to the standard of the Word of God? That's what the purpose of, a, of dealing with it is, to bring them back into fellowship. Now, I said I wasn't going to talk about that much, but I guess I did for a few minutes. But that's a public offense. You said, well, what are other public offenses? The Apostle Paul gives a list of public offenses in 1 Corinthians. He, he gives a list of those things. But we want to talk about private offenses. These are things that are not necessarily public, that the general public does not know about. It's not obvious you know a, another just side note you know a convict, being charged with a crime or convicted of a crime or something like that you know, that'd, that'd be a public thing this is a private offense where an individual has offended another individual how do you handle those things does the word of god say anything about that absolutely matthew the 18th chapter matthew the 18th chapter do you know how much online posting and and blogging and Venting This would diminish and take away if if children of God, whether they're in a church together or not, would follow the principle of of what's taught right here in Matthew 18. I want want you to notice that Matthew 18 starts out talking about, the, the, the disciples talking about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's how Matthew 18 starts out. They're arguing with one another about who's the greatest. And Jesus makes the point. He says, Except you can be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. He's making the point that it's, the, it's not just little children that make up the kingdom of God. He's using the example of how little children interact with one another and how they forgive trespasses so easily. He said that's the kind of attitude you ought to have as an adult. Amen. Okay? And so he says, whosoever therefore shall humble himself, this first four, as this little child. He brings a little child in the midst. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now watch verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. It'd be better to experience a timely death in in time than to offend one of the little ones of God. That ought to put us on our toes right there, you know. I don't mean walk around on eggshells. But I mean to be conscious and aware of one another, especially our children. Because when the adults go to fussing and fighting, the, one that, the ones that, you know, we get over it quick and move on. But the ones that have heard it, the little children, are maybe the ones that are affected the most. That's the point that, you see, they were fussing and fighting. Who's the greatest? Which one of us apostles is going to be the leader when you're gone? And he says, you guys are, you guys are offending the little ones by arguing like that. Y'all see that? And Jesus says, woe unto the world because of offenses. You know, Christ is doing like maybe you have done and I have done at times. I just looked at the world and just go, has the world gone mad? Is the world gone crazy? And then I look in the mirror and I think, have I gone crazy? (laughs) I I commit offenses myself. He says, woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. He's not saying I approve of all the offenses that occur. No, he's saying because of Adam's fall, because of the nature of man, offenses are unavoidable. They're going to happen even when you don't intend them to happen. But woe to that man by our woman, or child, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. You see, the Lord says, I'm not excusing offenses. The question is, how do you deal with these offenses? Wherefore, watch this now. And this is the mindset that we should get into when it comes to dealing with offenses. It's a self-examination. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. The Lord is not teaching here that there's a possibility that you could fall away and go to hell. He's not saying that. He's making the point of how important it is to examine yourself. Because you could wind up being in a condition and frame of mind that you're no better than the, the goats or the reprobates of the world who are going to suffer everlasting fire. God forbid that we would conduct ourselves in a way that, we can't, that you can't tell the difference between somebody who doesn't care about God and somebody who does. Now, this convicts me. Is there enough evidence in my life if I was put on trial for being a disciple? Is there enough evidence to convict me of being a disciple? Is there enough evidence to convict you when it comes to dealing with and handling offenses? Are we handling in a way that honors God? Said, say, well, Brother Tim, you're just talking about church stuff, right? No, I'm talking about our marriages. I'm talking about our friendships and our families. Think about it. We kind of think sometimes, well, my marriage gets a pass, you know, because I've been married for so long and my wife or my husband, you know, they know me so well. You don't get a pass when it comes to grace. You see, you need to continue to walk in grace, walk in the spirit. You don't get a day off from serving God. You shouldn't want a day off. Well, I'll act one way when I go to church and smile and shake everybody's hand and I'll go home and, you know, we'll have roast preacher and sliced deacon for dinner, you know, just chew them up and spit them out. That's what this is talking about. And by the way, if you have roast preacher and you have sliced deacon or you have minced church member for dinner and you're talking like that around your kids, then don't ever expect them to come back. Don't ever expect it. You say, Brother Tim, I don't know what to do. I've done that for so many years. Take this and implement it from the word of God. It works at any point in your life. It works at any point. Years ago when the Lord converted me, I've been born again since I believe since a small child, but I was converted and I've been converted several times through the years. I mean, that's how I guess dumb I am. I, I'm just so single track minded. I've got to be converted again and again. But when I really experience conversion, and we were living up in Nashville, and the Lord just slayed me. The preaching of the gospel just slayed my heart. And I thought, what have I done with my life? Have I even taken a breath that honored God in my life? I tell you, that's a good place to come to. My first thought, I started thinking back through the years. I think I was 27 at that time. I started thinking about, about all the people that I had offended through the years. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and it was so overwhelming that I, it just—it brought tears to my eyes, and it was so overwhelming I started thinking, you know, there's really no way that I can go make some of these things right. And I thought of that verse, woe to Tim for offenses. I tell you, now there's been a few times over the years that I've encountered someone by the providence of God that i treated bad or, or acted wrongly towards, you know, maybe when I was in high school or younger. And, and I've, I've taken those opportunities on occasion when the Lord was in the matter and I've just taken them aside, or it's been a private moment, and I've just said, I am so sorry for what I did to you or what I said. You know how relieving that was to this old heart? Now, there's still a few more out there that I wish that the Lord would set up a situation where I could do that. I'm so sorry that I committed this offense against you. And you say, well, it must have been horrible. Well, it, it, maybe, it, maybe it was something small, but it was big to me. And when I started thinking about all the things that I've done, those things come to my mind. And I just want to go and just confess that to them. Now, there's time, again, you know, providence of God will definitely open doors for you to do things like that. And I'm not saying go out and lay all your dirty laundry out and confess to everyone, you know, what you've done. That's not appropriate. But when God gives you an opportunity to confess, you need to take that opportunity. And this is what this is talking about right here it can be implemented and put into practice at any point in a child of God's life I'm sitting here telling you that really until I was 26 or 27 years old I didn't really fully understand the import and and the consequence of, of the glory that comes whenever we do things like this so he says woe unto the world because of offenses but they will come And if your right hand offends you or your right foot offends you, examine yourself and cut it off. In counseling terms, this is known as radical amputation. What that means is he's not literally saying you need to cut your hand off and literally cut your foot off. He is saying examine yourself and see if you've got something in your life that is causing offense to others and cut it out as quick as you can. And the beautiful thing about the counseling from the Word of God, the way that the Word of God counsels us is the Lord is the master of replacement therapy. You say, well, I don't know what I'll do. I've been using this bad language all of my life. I've been putting people down all of my life. I've been in the mully grubs all of my life. You know, if I stop doing this and cut it out, I won't have anything to say. Yes, you will, because the Word of God will give you things to say that will build back up the things that you've destroyed. That's how it works when you implement the Word of God when it comes to offenses. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, cut it out. That's what he says in verse 9. Cast it from thee. If you look at things that you shouldn't look at that bring you down or put you in places that are are not honoring to God, he said you'd be better off blind than continue to look at those things because you wouldn't see them anymore. Take heed that you despise. You say, Brother Tim, is he really still talking about offenses? Yes, verse 10. Take heed that you despise that not one of these that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Oh my, how that would change how we interact with each other from time to time if we're upset or angry or whatever. If you could see with spiritual eyes and look and above that child of God, according to this, are somewhere high up in heaven, their angels are beholding them. (laughs) That's sort of an intimidating thought, is it not? And you might say, well, that person's done so much and they've been so ugly that they probably ain't got an angel. (laughs) That's a bad attitude. What about you? So he says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And then he goes on and he gives the hundred sheep analogy. Do you understand that hundred sheep analogy? It it definitely means that God's not going to lose any one of his children in the final outcome of the end of the world. There's not going to be anybody missing out of the family of God. That's what that analogy is given. But it also, in a timely sense, is in the context of offenses. So if there's one little sheep out there on the hills that has been offended and kicked to the side and maybe starving and hungry and not healthy because the others have been bullying that sheep, he says that one sheep is important enough for me to go out there that's been offended and take that sheep and bring it back to the fold. You see that? I say that to you, child of God. There's not a person under the sound of my voice and others who may not be here this morning. There's not a single child of God that the Lord has blessed me to be interactive with, that is not important enough to me to go out on the hills and in the valleys and go through storms of life, whatever it may be, to recover that sheep for the health of that sheep and for the glory of God. You see that? So we go on down and he says in chapter chapter 18, verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Do you know how much gossip and innuendo and you know rolling of eyes and all? Do you know how much that simple little instruction right there, it gives the glory to God for sure, but it also quells down and keeps down, I guess you'd say the peanut gallery or or any type of gossip that would go on. He says, if you've been offended, if you've been hurt, you don't go post it on the internet and rant and rave about so-and-so did this to me, or you don't go talk to your best friend and say, well, so-and-so did this to me. No, this says, if you've been hurt and trespassed against, then go and tell that to the person that did it. Always somebody says, well, it just probably won't work. That's not the point. It may not work, but there's several steps that are given here that give, uh, give credence to the fact that it probably will work. And I'll say this, in my years in the ministry, when a child of God has implemented this right here, I have never seen it not work. Number one, it always gives glory to God. And number two, most times, the person gains their friend or their brother or their spouse. They gain them back. But the worst thing that someone could do like the piercings of a sword like that other verse in Proverbs says is to go and blaze it across the town or blaze it across the church or blaze it across the internet it says to go this is the words of our savior he says to go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone if he shall hear thee thou hast gained thy brother so you go to that person and you go in the right frame of mind you don't want to go angry and you don't want to go mad if you're hurt I mean that's understandable but you go and you see that person privately you don't take a committee you don't take a crowd there is a step in there where you take a couple witnesses by the way i'm moving ahead of it myself but when you do take those witnesses and you go see that person again if the first time didn't work those witnesses should not know anything about what went down you see that you don't want them to be biased they're like a jury if you will because guess what you might get in that situation and a couple witnesses say no wait a minute brother tim You're blowing this out of proportion. You have conveyed that you're offended and this happened. But that's not what we see. You see there? There's so many ways in which God can get His glory out of situations, out of offenses, overcoming offenses. If we follow the pattern of what the Word of God says in relation to offenses. He says, if that person hears you, then you have gained your brother. The whole purpose of it is to gain your brother. There could be nothing more important than for all of us in our hearts to want to gain one another. I don't want to lose my friends, my brothers, my sisters, the fellowship of the sheep of God. But there's a price for that. The price in discipleship for that is to lay our lives down and say, hey, I'm willing to come to you and talk to you if, this is, if, this, if you've hurt me. There's also a place over in Matthew 5 where He talks about the person who is the offender this is the brother offended right here but then there's the brother offender over in Matthew 5 where it says if you come to church and you see uh, you're ready to make your sacrifice you're ready to present your body as a living sacrifice and you think oh my goodness i offended so and so i hurt so that teaching right there indicates that it's better to go and it'd be better to go and find that brother or that sister and make it right with them than even come and worship <laughs> I, don't, I can't see in the Word of God where there's too many places where the Lord says go away from worship. Now I do see places where the Lord says I won't hear your prayers, I won't accept your sacrifice because of the condition that you're living your life in. There, there's one situation where the Lord says when you come to the altar and you make your sacrifice and you remember that you offended your brother or your sister, your wife or your husband, your children, go and make that right with them. Now if you show up and that person's far away, don't and you know they're at church, don't go pull them out of church. Just come on and worship, finish church, and then go see them, you see? You think about the great divisions that have occurred through relationships in the Word of God. Abel and Cain. You know, Cain killed Abel. Jacob and Esau. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Joseph and his brethren. You remember? They sold him into slavery. Amnon and Absalom. Absalom who murdered his brother. What about the New Testament? Paul and Barnabas. They got crossed up in a mighty way. What about modern, more modern? There was a huge rift between Martin Luther and John Calvin, great reformers. Or what about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson who once were very close and and literally hated each other? God blessed them to reconcile before they died. But I want you to think about these things. You see, offenses will come I may have offended you with this message here today. (laughs) Offenses have come because we we talk, we interact, we say things. Sometimes we say things jokingly. Sometimes we didn't mean it this way. Y'all heard me say last week about what I told Sister Tracy when we got married. If I ever say anything that could be taken good or bad, always take it good. And that was such a lie, you know? Sometimes we say things and we hurt people. Sometimes we do things and we hurt people. If we will follow the biblical pattern of a brother offended or a sister offended, most of the things that occur and most of the offenses are never even known because the offended brother goes to the one who they offended or vice versa and they make it right and they gain each other and they're closer because of that. That's what God intends for the biblical pattern. Now, this does not mean that you, what Matthew 18 teaches about going to your brother, your sister, does not mean that you don't talk to your preacher about it. You understand that? You say, well, I'm not sure how to go about this. I'm not sure how to handle this. You should talk to your preacher about that, because I promise you, your preacher's not going to put it on the Internet. The preacher is called to report to God about how your soul is doing. you understand that? About how you're doing. Oh, brother, sister, so-and-so, they're doing great. Brother, sister, so-and-so, oh my goodness, they're in a bad spot. That's a fearful thing for a preacher to have to do. You understand that? I don't feel worthy to do that. But if you're wondering on how to handle that offense or handle that situation, you go talk to your preacher about it. Amen. And say, hey, this is really troubling me. How do I handle this? If the preacher's doing what he's supposed to be doing, he's going to direct you to the word of God. God's going to get his glory. And the body of Christ just continues to thrive because the lifeblood of charity, of sacrificial love, is pulsing through the body. I hope that these things, I know they're very practical. And I, some, I would refer to a message like this in last week sort of as a maintenance message, you know, things that maintain the body of Christ, things that maintain us as individuals interacting together in the kingdom of God. We don't want to do anything to disrupt the peace of the kingdom of God. We want to focus on being peacekeepers. And if there's a sheep out there on the side of the hill that's struggling, you know, don't just wait for the preacher to go get that sheep. If you know about that, you go after that sheep in the spirit that's described here. Lord, help me to examine myself. Help me to pluck out what I need to pluck out, cut off what I need to cut off, and help me to humble myself like a little child and go and minister to that individual. I hope and pray that that's been profitable. We will all be brothers offended or sisters offended at some point. We will all be that way. But may the Lord bless us to handle it in a way that honors God.